From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Well, yes, Mr. Robert, thank you very much. It's Mike, me, the host. This is Mike Davidson lives. Thanks for downloading this latest episode. As I yak it up with you for about, oh, 30 minutes, maybe, kind of. We'll see how it goes. A little exhausted, not going to lie. Not just because I'm recording this late on a Sunday night, but uh, just a long-ass weekend. Uh, we finally made the road trip down to Martinsville and uh, live up here in Fort Wayne. And that's about a three-hour drive, typically, here in the state of India, because uh, we're two hours north of Indy. Uh, my parents are about uh, half an hour to an hour south depending on what road you take there's lots of road construction and uh, that's why it really sucked going down uh, i mean the first two hours were all right and then we get to uh, the northeast part of india uh, which is castleton for those playing along at home and they decided to shut down a good chunk of interstate on 469.65 and traffic's just a nightmare we didn't move for the longest time uh, Logan was crying, Hazel was acting up, Lana was complaining. It was not a fun car ride, so we did a detour. Uh, and, you know, just, uh, like I said, long, long. Uh, I had to go another way home, about a three-hour drive back once I figured out how to get us back home. And uh, I woke up, I was cranky and agitated, as was my wife, as were my children. I mean, the best way I can describe it to you... Um, it's almost like my younger days when I would wake up and I was hungover from a long night of whatever. Only uh, this was not fun. The visit with my parents was fun. Car ride, not so much. So my wife and I are uh, troubleshooting uh, next time we go down and see my folks what the best way uh, to do it would be. Uh, we already have a road trip scheduled to uh, meet up with her bestie later on this summer. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing the hotel thing. We are not going to be trying to cram all that driving into one freaking day. That's just insane. Uh, yeah, and the other thing, too, is um, when you're in the car with your kids, uh, there's only so much music you can listen to. And so I did not get a chance yet to go listen to the new Metallica album, 72 Seasons. Uh, yeah, I've, I heard the lead single off of it, and that was pretty good. That was a while back. I have not listened to it in its entirety. I'm probably going to do that off and on throughout the week. I'll give, I'll try to give you a review on that here in a little bit. Uh, Jared, my old college roommate, say, says that this is probably the best uh, album they've done in about 20 years. So that's that's high praise and because Jared's a huge Metallica fan. Uh, not to the point where like um, you know everything the band has done is sucks because they sold out when James Hetfield joined the band. And if you think uh, I misspoke, no, that that's kind of the mentality of Metallica fans is that the band always sells out. Um, but Lars, I got this pinned up on the, well, it's not pinned, but it's up on the Mike Davidson Facebook page uh, talking about how, like, uh, you know, he he's uh, more, you know, even with all the success, he sometimes feels like a loser. Um, I, I don't know why he would. I mean, I... I'm sure there's times where he's like, man, I was a dick. Because there are times where Lars is a dick. But, I mean, would you really look at him or anybody in that band and say, yeah, those those guys totally suck? Nah, man. Uh, they, they, have, um, they have reached that rare air that other bands like the Rolling Stones or, 
you too have reached where um, if they wanted to, they could fart into a microphone for an hour, put that out as an album, uh, tour for that album, even if the album is loathed by fans, is still sell out. They're, that's how successful they are. So, you know, t- take, take it in stride, Lars. Enjoy it, man. Uh, you guys certainly have earned it. All right. Uh, it looks like... Um, it looks like, uh, you know, Washington football fans, Washington football club, formerly Redskins, Commanders, let's just say Commandskins, those fans, that fan base, breathing a huge sigh of relief because uh, earlier this week it was announced that uh, uh, <laughs> Daniel Snyder is getting rid of the team, selling it off for a whopping six billion with a damn b dollars he'll be done as owner of uh, of the command skins uh much to the delight like i said of it, many many fans of that team although uh, i'm sure some cowboys giants and eagles fans are a little despondent but six billion dollars that's quite a chunk of money it's a, it's a six billion is a very popular number uh as of late uh, just to put things in perspective uh budweiser lost the equivalent of one NFL football franchise in a week after their whole uh, Dylan Mulvaney social media viral thing. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's a way to kind of put things into perspective here. Okay, I want to have some parting shots um, on this, unless, unless something bigger breaks. With uh, Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, Dylan Mulvaney. Um, this is probably going to be the last I mention it for a while. Because, you know, there's other things to skew out there. I don't know if you noticed. Um, but, uh, yeah, they the uh, CEO of the company put out this apology, non-apology a few days ago to, uh, to everybody. That doesn't really apologize for doing what they did. Uh, but doesn't really defend it either. It's it's basically word salad diarrhea, uh, where people on the right are like, well, that's not an apology, and people on the left are like, well, that, they totally caved. Uh, now he's trying to play both sides. I don't think it's really going to fly either way. <laughs> but um, but they uh, they just put out uh, not too long ago. I saw this article on Outkick. They put out the this new viral video not too long ago. Without Dylan Mulvaney, um, it's uh, it's basically uh, you know American spirit, red, white, and blue horses in the mountains. It's it's uh, gotten tens of millions of viewers, uh, which uh, the author of the article finds kind of weird, considering that uh, there's only a hundred thousand people following the Budweiser, Anheuser Busch, Bud Light social media labels because you know basically you follow a company or wanting to watch or listen to commercials basically um but so they've paid for the boost and the impressions they're trying to get their image out there again as one of america's uh, prestigious beers and uh time will tell if that that actually takes takes hold but you know they wouldn't have to do this if they didn't do the whole dylan mulvaney thing and it's just um Knowing your customers 101. And uh, two things I want to use as examples. Again, as we wrap up uh, this uh, this chapter of shitty marketing 101. Uh, and I've told this story before on the podcast with other things. But uh, my dad would tell me this about Ross Perot. 
a successful businessman, uh, also a centric presidential candidate. Uh, he at one point was on the board of directors of uh, General Motors, and he had kind of a parting shot, um, according to my dad, because GM didn't know what the hell they were doing wrong. Their cars were not as successful as they once were. And uh, Ross Perot said, hey, look, if you want to know what's going on, what you need to do is buy a GM car. Not be given one. You go and buy it, and you buy it incognito. You don't dress up as a business person or tell the dealer who you are. You go to a dealership. You buy the damn car. You drive it around for a bit. You take it back to general uh, to the dealership to get it uh, uh, you know, worked on, looked at, inspected, whatever. You figure out what's going on with your car. You talk with people. Get their thoughts on the car. When you, when you stop giving a shit, and I'm using my words, when you stop giving a shit about what your customers want, that's when you start to fail. And I think with uh, this whole dilemma of anything, it's clear. And uh, uh, also that uh, podcast video where the, uh, the VP of marketing was talking about, how, well, we got to get away from this fratty uh, image of Bud Light being a fun beer or something like that. It's clear that none of these people dress down, go to a bar, or go to the liquor store, and just strike up casual conversations with people, uh, not telling them who they are, just trying to see who their typical customer is that goes and buys a can, uh, a case of Bud Light. It's just they, they read the trade magazines, and then they see what's trending on social media, and they say, ooh, let's go with that. Uh, and social media is not necessarily the real world. In fact, Dave Chappelle has famously said, I don't give an F, Twitter is not a real place. Um, unless, of course, you're Anheuser-Busch, then you lose $6 billion. But, uh, yeah, they, they didn't do that. So they, they, there's been no effort to really connect with the people, their primary audience, their P1s, to... to see how they can better position themselves and when they uh, catered to dylan mulvaney in that crowd and they lost all that money there was none of that dylan mulvaney crowd coming in to fill the void of the lost revenue so that's a big problem i am also going to talk briefly about my experiences in radio and you know uh, one of the best mentors a guy could have in radio is a guy that's done it and that would be matt toledo uh, aka the former gas man uh, here uh, was 98.9 The Bear. Uh, he was the program director, that is, of uh, 98.9 The Bear when he hired me in. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get to talking with consultants. And, you know, one of the big reasons why radio doesn't do as well as it does or did overall is that uh, it doesn't connect with its audience. Uh, a lot of places, a good chunk of those places, no longer have live bodies doing shows. Uh, they've got the same 200 songs in rotation, and they think that's going to carry the day. And that you, because of that, you'll sit through six, seven, eight minutes worth of commercials before the next song or the next talking point, whatever. Um, but there is a mindset, and this went against uh, what me and Matt thought of uh, not talking to listeners. Because the some of the, the consultants would be like, well, you know, you lose listeners that way. And none of the top market stations, uh, you know, take calls and stuff. But if you're 
growing up listening to radio, that was all I did was like I would listen to the phone calls that some of these jocks would mess around with listeners on. And, it, you know, some very entertaining content came from that. And that's not stuff that can be planned necessarily. You might go in there with a topic, but the reactions from the listeners and your reaction to the listener made it a little more spontaneous. And you have to have kind of a genuine love of the listener for it to work. When you start isolating yourself from the audience or your customer base, Bud Light, that's when trouble usually follows. So uh, that's that's basically the parting shot on that. All right, uh, another kudos to uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's still doing pretty well at the box office. It only had a 45% drop-off uh, from the previous weekend. It's setting all sorts of records. Uh, and, you know, there's always going to be a drop-off from weekend one to weekend two because you have to think the super fans always go and see the movie. And, uh, you know, there'll be a little bit of a drop-off. But... Uh, it kind of says that, you know, from what I could tell on social media, and again, I know it's not the real place, but I mean, the word of mouth is the movie's good. It's entertaining. It's not Shakespeare in the park, but uh, it's also not the shittacular John Leguizamo one from the 90s. So people are going to see it. Everybody's seeing it except China, where Super Mario Brothers is considered a bomb. Oh, it's not. It, globally, it's not a bomb. Here in the States, not a bomb. In China, uh, this past weekend, I think it was, only made $13 million. And uh, according to the article I was looking at here, um, it would suggest that it's because of the growing nationalism in China, uh, as China is looking toward the West with a little more suspicion. Huh. Well, you know, that certainly sounds kind of creepy and scary. It's almost like, uh, you know, a communist-run country doesn't like what we stand for. Uh, but here, I, I kind of see the silver lining. And, and I'm doing the silver lining with the air quotes because this takes kind of a Pollyannish type of mindset here. Maybe, just maybe, with, with uh, Super Mario Brothers being what it is, just good family fun entertainment. And I'm not saying Hollywood movies have to be fun family entertainment. It doesn't matter if the movie's G or R. What the movie needs to be is entertaining to the audience. And maybe that's what it needs to do is start thinking about your P1s. Aha. That being the American audience. And if you make money elsewhere, hey, more power to you. Uh, you don't need to pander to some place like China to make money. And uh, Super Mario Brothers doesn't look like it's done that and a lot of people are having fun going to see that movie hey uh, speaking of pandering to china disney um uh disney i, I guess uh, released the little mermaids runtime little mermaids coming out here in a few weeks and uh i think it's going to be like two hours 15 minutes long and that's almost almost an hour longer than the original one that came out about 30 odd years ago the the animated one was barely 90 minutes long and now it's just like okay this movie's gonna be super ass long um and i'm just kind of rolling my eyes shaking my head because uh when i see, and of course disney's saying well all of our live action movies are longer than the original animated ones well compare the revenue between the animated and live action movies uh, who do you think, which set of movies wins out? 
I'm going to go with the animated ones. I, I would hope you would, too. Uh, who is this movie being made for if you're going to make it two hours, 15 minutes long? Now, granted, you know, some kids go and see the Marvel movies, and those things can pretty be pretty damn long. But uh, they're also filled with preteens, teenagers, and adults like yours truly. Well, you know, that will remain to be seen if uh, the quality keeps dropping. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I can get off on another tangent on that. Um, you know, Little Mermaid's for little girls, primarily. And so, basically, this is just a nostalgia trip for uh, adults that are in denial, saying, oh, this is going to be just as good, if not breaking, uh, better, and uh, try to relive it through there. So you got got uh, this live-action, two-hour, two 15-minute-long movie, uh, with the song lyrics being changed up for modern audiences. And, uh, you know, you got the lead um, who's uh, talking about how they've made this movie less sexist and it's not just about finding the boy. So, you know, they've added some plot points to this story. And uh, Melissa McCarthy, who plays Ursula, doubling down, tripling down on the fact that, uh, oh, yeah, I'm channeling in my uh, inner drag queen to play this role. And there's a drag queen living inside of me. And it's just like... You can just shut up now. You don't have to keep talking about your uh, your influences here for your for this uh, alleged family movie. And yes, again, I'm well aware of the fact that Divine was uh, the inspiration for Ursula in the first one, but they didn't play it up as they are now. And I, it's like, what the hell was the point of bringing Bob Iger back if you're going to keep doing this crap? Uh, it's almost like none of these guys and gals over at Disney are looking at Budweiser going, huh, maybe we should tone down the reticard a little bit. Nah, they're going full speed ahead with this one. And so, like I said, this will be a movie that will probably win its first weekend at the box office, but will underperform, uh, and it will also uh, have steep drop-off that second weekend. You can bank on that just damn, just about damn near. All right. Uh, congrats to Elon Musk for uh, proving that uh, state-funded, I mean, uh, publicly funded, um, governmentally funded <laughs> people that ask for damn money they, they can't make are crybabies, basically. And uh, uh, PBS and NPR are both off Twitter. Nobody gives a shit, really. Um, this happened uh, because he uh, labeled the BBC in an interview with the BBC as state-funded and government-funded, and the interviewer just got pissy about it. And so NPR and PBS, um, they got pissy about it, and they've left Twitter. It, Deadspin, by the way, a uh, uh, writer for Deadspin was talking about how uh, your life will be so much better once you're off social media because he's been off social media, and he's pr uh, you know putting this on a website, Deadspin, uh, whose Twitter account is still active, but whatever. Um so that they got that going on and it's like who like i said who gives a shit uh npr and pbs get their money from the government which means they get it from us uh they always ask for money so if it's not through taxes it's through donations or grants from corporations that want to look good and can write it off as a tax write-off hmm. whatever but to throw this little hissy fit and say, oh, well, we're leaving Twitter is not going to destroy Twitter. Twitter ain't perfect, but uh, it's a hell of a lot better than when uh, uh, Jack Ramsey let the uh, the Wokerati run it about a year back. 
And if that means less pretentious crap on social media, I'm all about it. So, uh, audios. Uh, Twitter, of course, uh, one of many social platforms, social media platforms. It seems to be the one that uh, media types bitch about, but they don't bitch as much about TikTok because you get the TikTok challenge uh, left and right on that damn thing. And, of course, it's owned by China, and how dare anybody criticize China. I'm not a big fan of TikTok. Uh, I don't have a TikTok account. Don't uh, don't plan on getting a TikTok account because I'm sure Twitter and Facebook already do their fair share of personal mining of uh, of me. Um, but uh, somebody a couple years back reverse engineered the tw- uh, the TikTok app and shows that uh, Facebook and Twitter pretty much pikers compared to what TikTok's got. Like there is a lot of mining there. Um, and it goes back to this company in China. Of course, China is communist, and I'm sure that the Chinese government has access to it as well. So that would cause some alarm. Get it? Got it? Good. Okay. Not advocating uh, TikTok at all. And, you know, I, I get why, you know, government agencies, state or federal, don't want this app on their equipment. Uh, you know, no, no TikTok apps on uh, government-owned phones, laptops, whatever. I know businesses have banned it because you don't want sensitive information to go to places that would use said sensitive information to their benefit and perhaps cripple you. Uh, but in Montana, uh, as of as of this podcast, uh, I, I, they are looking to ban the, the app entirely from the state. I don't know if you can do that. Um, it's it sounds impossible, but then again, I'm not a tech guy, so I couldn't tell you how possible it is. But uh, I do have a serious problem when uh, state government or federal government can ban in an app, because if you give that much power to somebody to do that, who knows what else they could ban? I mean, I know Elon Musk has made quite a few enemies since buying Twitter. And I know there's quite a few people in government that are not fond of Elon Musk. Maybe they go after him. Maybe uh, Android Boy or uh, Zuckerberg <laughs> doesn't do enough to corral uh, statements that are being made on Facebook. They go after him. Maybe they start going after podcast platforms. Or and you you get the idea. This is bad precedent. And when people are cheering on banning TikTok. Uh, without just saying, okay, let's just keep it off certain devices. We're just going to ban an app. They don't realize that uh, giving the government that much power to ban Chinese influence is almost like being influenced by China. Like you are actually taking the same drastic uh, steps. It, It is very Orwellian, and we need to avoid doing things like that. But again, in the last 20 years, anything from uh, getting onto an airplane to healthcare to whatever, uh, we can't just we can't say no to government. That's a big freaking problem, huge problem. Just very frustrating. All right, um, I I didn't think I didn't think I'd see something like this trend on Twitter. Uh, this this almost has kind of the vibes of leave Britney alone, bitch. You remember that one dude that just went crazy because we wouldn't leave Britney alone, bitches? Uh, and Britney was having a public meltdown. Well, now we're doing this with our senior citizen 
acting elite, uh, Jack Nicholson, who, uh, who turns uh, 86. Happy early birthday, Jack Nicholson. Turns 86 uh, later on this week. Uh, he has been spotted out in public uh, for the first time in about two years. Uh, thanks in part to the paparazzi, who just do bang-up work, you know, being a-holes. Uh, he was out on his balcony or something, and they were talking about how uh, disheveled, gray, and fat he looked. Um, which, uh, you know, happens when you turn 85, 86. You look gray, disheveled, and fat. Um, but I was actually kind of in awe uh, seeing that picture of Jack. I, You know, to be somebody that old and to be fat like that gives a guy like me hope. So uh, kudos to Jack. But yeah, I, I, he, I think he's pretty much retired from acting, kind of like Gene Hackman and like a Hackman hightailed it out of uh, Hollywood years back. Uh, he's north of 90, and uh, I guess like uh, somebody recently took pictures of him out biking by himself. Yeah, he looks like somebody north of 90 because that's what happens. You get old and you look old. Uh, but he's enjoying his best life. Uh, I'm not sure why we're taking pictures of old people. I mean, it is just like this weird death watch thing that we hope happens. Is that what? Is that what that's supposed to be? Uh, National Enquirer? Yeah, I'm just I'm just surprised that he's up and walking, Jack Nicholson. Because again, this is a dude that you haven't seen for a bit, and you know there he is. He's fat on his porch, probably still drinking after all these years. Kudos to him. Uh, Quentin Tarantino recent interview talked about that uh, he does not like having a lot of sex scenes in his movies. Um, you know, you know, gets away the blood squibs. Now he talks about how like you're supposed to get the right amount of tension when you know there's love making and uh, it makes everybody on the set nervous and of course it makes uh, HR nervous in these studios. Well, I, maybe not so much because you know, he did work for uh, Weinstein, but uh, but he talked about that a little bit. And when I, I start stopped and thought about, it, I mean, there's not a lot of sex in those movies that he's done. I mean, okay, there was the the quickie between. Uh, Robert De, uh, De Niro and uh, Bridget Fonda in Jackie Brown. And, of course, there's the infamous uh, uh, Marcellus Wallace sex scene in Pulp Fiction. I don't think anybody enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's always uh, there's something. You, you really don't want Quentin Tarantino to direct a sex scene now that I think about it. It gets a little awkward, uh, a little a little painful, and sometimes a little funny. Um by the way, uh, Major League Baseball is looking to do expansions now. Uh, some of the places looking to bring in teams. Uh, Nashville, uh, that, that could be a good fit. Uh, as well as Las Vegas, Portland, Oregon. Uh, there was another city in the mix in Montreal, which lost the, the Expos to Washington and became the Nationals. You know, I remember as a kid watching uh, MLB quite a bit in Olympic Stadium where the, the, the Expos used to play. That place never, the Reds would go there. That place never looked full. Uh, and fans just kind of wandered in. Like, I don't think I don't think that's a baseball town. Could be wrong, but, you know, they lost the, the Nationals. So uh, they're looking to try to get a team again, I guess. Uh, my hometown, Indianapolis, does not have a Major League Baseball team. I don't think it's ever going to happen because, you know, you got fan bases. Uh, it's a huge Cubs stronghold, so you got your Chicago Cub fans down there. You got some Chicago White Sox fans, uh, Cincinnati Red fans for sure, St. Louis Cardinals, 
Detroit Tigers, and there are some fans of uh, the Cleveland Traffic Cops. So, yeah, I don't think Indy's going to even try for one. Oh, uh, New York City, uh, you, you know I was talking about Urban Decay uh, last podcast, kind of kind of a humorous aside here on that. New York City uh, has lost, like, a lot of people, and I guess they've got a huge rat problem. Mayor Adams out there has appointed a rat czar, and you too can be a rat czar and make a, a, a modest sum of $155,000 a year in the city of New York City. You know, a, a, a humble, modest public servant making $155,000 a year. And uh, PETA has chimed in because why the hell not? Because they don't think it's right that, uh, you know, rats should be exterminated or try to be killed off like New York City's trying to do. And what else can you do in all seriousness? You know, you, want, you gotta get rid of the damn vermin. But PETA's like, well, it's not their fault that they're here. After all, uh, humans attracted them with all their refuse and all that stuff. And PETA does have a point uh, on that because rats are attracted to filth and sometimes we can be some dirty bastards. But uh, the counterpoint to that, and I thought long, hard, and deep on this, was bubonic plague. So there's that. Um, New York, PETA's trying to justify keeping the animals that are attracted to dirt. I mean, look, I get it. Have a cleaner city, you worry about fewer rats. But in the meantime, you got to get rid of them because they do pose kind of a danger. All right. Uh, and speaking of danger, finally, um, down in Mississippi, just a few days back, police pulled over a car that they found a, a whole bunch of drugs in, a routine traffic stop. Uh, but this was probably the coup de grace in that grab. Uh, police also found a gun uh, from the, the suspect hidden in a uh, Taco Bell quesadilla. Which probably be, probably now means that Taco Bell is going to take the quesadilla off the menu. Because that's what the Taco Bell does. I mean, geez, old Pete, man. If, you, if you're worried about the cops finding food and you're going to hide it, are you really going to hide it in a, a flimsy fast food taco shell like a quesadilla? No, no. What you need to do, if you need to start hiding food, you need to start going to places like uh, KFC and get that big thing of uh, mashed potatoes. Just stuff that firearm right in there. Nobody's going to find it, but who eats KFC anymore? All right. With that all said and done, I'm done. Till next time, uh, stay fresh. Cheese You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash mdavidsonlives. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live.